season's going to end on a double doink. 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 Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea. And then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on a Tuesday afternoon. Terrible Tuesday for many. We get into that. Of course, our Terrible Tuesday takes everyone's favorite day of the week on the show. No doubt about it. But we can talk plenty of football today as well, too. NFL recapping week number two in the NFL side. Week three of the college side. We will talk Raiders and their... Not so fabulous performance in Buffalo. Touched on it yesterday. We'll talk a little bit more today with Paul Gutierrez, who covers the Raiders for ESPN. Paul's got a great article coming out to tomorrow regarding the Raiders and Hunter Renfro on ESPN.com. We'll talk to Paul about that and a whole lot more coming your way. Matthew Holt, our good friend from U.S. Integrity. Matthew on both sides of, uh, used to be on both sides of the counter back in the day, but always great talking with him. We got that for you and a whole lot more here on this Tuesday afternoon. We've got basically a week off of Aces talk, but the they're resting. They're off today and uh, they'll get back to practice tomorrow. But some very interesting WNBA games tonight that uh, those Aces fans definitely should be watching. So New York Liberty and the Washington Mystics even though that's down the road as far as the Aces opponent, that would be on the other side, battle of the two and seven seeds. We'll see if Washington can play spoiler because they played spoiler in game number one for a while. And then Sabrina Inescu went nuts, hitting all kinds of threes. I was just going to ask if that's been like, like the Aces Sky Series was. No, because the Sky never led in that series. Uh, that hurts. The Mystics actually led for a good portion of the game, at least the first half they yeah. did. Then Inescu went off, and then, you know, it's a three-fest. Yeah. You know how many points Brianna Stewart had in that game? 16. The, the, the MVP candidate? 16. Minus six. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ready for this controversy. I'm ready for this controversy to begin. And we talked about it yesterday with the WNBA Awards. Becky Hammond not getting the coach of the year. Travesty. What's even more preposterous is that she finished fourth. Becky Hammond, not only the highest paid coach in the league, but the reigning coach of the year, where the Aces had a better record this year with less of a roster, set the WNBA Record for wins and best record in the history of the league. 27-year history of the league. And she finishes fourth. How's that for a terrible Tuesday? Finishes fourth. And how many votes did she get? Out of the 60 votes delivered by so-called writers, Becky Hammond got three votes. I would love to know who those three writers are. No. How about the 57 other Hammond Eggers? How about that? It's all New York people. I guarantee you. It's East Coast bias. But it makes no sense. You cannot make a case for it. Cannot make a case. And when it comes time for the MVP to be announced, I can hardly wait for these people to line up and start banging a drum again for Brianna Stewart. Don't want to hear it. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. Great player, we know that, but not consistent, not compared to Asia Wilson, not compared to what the rosters are different. Aces haven't had a full roster all year. Asia Wilson has to guard the best big of every opponent. Defensive player of the year, again, she'll get that. She should. Hopefully won't be any travesty with that, but definitely she deserves MVP. No questions, not even... A doubt. But the Associated Press, here we go back to those writers, they gave it to Brianna Stewart, their award. So hopefully the WNBA does not succumb to this 
and the WNBA feels that they need to spread out the wealth. That is the biggest joke out there. You don't need to spread any wealth. Well, Asia's gotten out twice in the last three years. We can't give it to her again. Yes, you can. Oh, Becky Hammond got the coach of the year last year. We can't give it to her again. Yes, you can, and you should. Forget what transpired last year, what transpired anywhere, uh, any other point in time. Just line it up, okay? Who's the best coach in the NBA, uh, WNBA this year? Who was it? End of story. Boom. Coach of the year. Oh, she was suspended the first two games. Becky still. Still Becky. Ridiculous that the WNBA suspended her. No merit behind it. Those two games. But that's probably behind it. Those two games. Yeah. Are the two players that that we've that we've missed the whole se- season. So it, they should even out. <laughs> it's a joke. And when you look at the coach of the year voting for the WNBA, Stephanie White did a nice job with Connecticut. Connecticut had 13 losses. They're 27 and 13. Aces, 34 and 6. Who had the better season? Who had the better team? No question. Connecticut finished third. Aces finished number one. You know who got second place? Latricia Trammell. First year coach with the Dallas Wings. Dallas Wings, fourth seed. So three seed, third best team gets coach of the year. Fourth best team gets runner-up coach of the year. Oh, who who got third? That was Sandy Brondello, the head coach of the New York Liberty. Second place team. And Becky Hammond, more wins than last year, less roster to deal with than last year, gets fourth. Sandy Brondello got six votes. Becky Hammond got three votes. I don't understand it, and this is why there are problems in this league. All right? There are problems in this league for as far as this league has come, it's been fantastic. It's great to watch. The television ratings are better than they've ever been off, off the charts. You have the collective bargaining agreement. Players are making more money than they have ever. They're getting endorsement deals. It's beautiful. But then you have this kind of nonsense that brings it back like, what? You don't want to reward the proper people? Is that better for your league? You have name recognition. Who ever heard of of a a third place team coach of the year? Oh, and by the way, they went backwards. They were in the finals last year. Aces beat the Connecticut Sun in the finals, and they're now the third best team. But they have a coach of the year. Doesn't make any sense. Wasn't yesterday an anniversary? Was anniversary? You saw my post on. I that. saw your post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, September eighteenth. I'll remember it forever. Uh, the day slash night that the Aces won their very first championship in Connecticut. It was a glorious day slash evening uh, for so many reasons. Aces won the championship in Connecticut, Mohegan Sun Casino. The celebration was on. Uh, it was a great game, great night. A um, lot of you know hysteria, celebration. Mark Davis was there. Bill Lambeer was there. Isaiah Thomas was there. Uh, it was fantastic. It was great. And then going back in the locker room, champagne, music, yours truly dancing. You remember that? Was it just yours truly though? Oh, everyone was dancing. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I got my groove on, you know, I think that was the first and time yes, the aces saw me do the split. And yes, I remember that dance. You remember that dance? I was popping and locking baby. And I remember that pop, lock and drop. And then coming back the next day and you were sore (laughs) (laughs) get ready for the parade yeah Yeah. two days later which you you nailed um you know what else so great about that though after it was all done and we were back there for a couple hours and the post game press conference and the presentation and all that kind of stuff then i you know got to go back to my room i don't think i changed though just dropped some stuff off and then i just got to go back down the elevator to Michael Jordan's Steakhouse for dinner. Lucky. Oh, so good. It was so good. So you win the championship, and again, you're staying in the same hotel, and you got MJ Steakhouse right there. Oh, fantastic. And the scenery, fantastic that that night as well, too. So, yeah, that was the anniversary from one year ago. And I say, yeah, let's go. Let's do it again. 
back to back. But as I predicted, I think it's going to be a home court win. Well, we'd have to win. Uh, that means it'd have to be five games to win at home. Do we so, want to go five? Games? Hold on. Maybe not. I was going to say, would they honestly drop one just to win it at home? No, stop that. No, no. But what I'm saying is like, if they dominate the first two, mm-hmm. first three, would, would you drop four just to kind of. You can't say the first three because three, well, three out of five, three wins it. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the, the first, first two, two. No. Remember, it's probably going to be New York. Okay. That's going to be a great series. Yeah. So the odds are that, you know, it has a five game series written yeah. all over it. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? I mean, the Aces just, you know, haven't even played a semifinal game yet. Of course we are. No question. Yeah. Should We've got a great team. So we look forward to that. So yeah, games tonight, Atlanta and Dallas playing game number two. If Dallas wins tonight, then it's over. That means. Dallas coming here on Sunday, game time, 2 o'clock. Game two is the following Tuesday. And then game three on the road next Friday. I'm going to send you the schedule, by the way. Thank you. I, I would love that. I did. I, and I, I sent out the email to our radio partners and all that stuff today. And I was thinking, oh, I got to include Numchuck on this. Because I know you're always asking me. So that way you'll have it. But I have it. I'll forward it to you during okay. the break. So you Sounds have good. It. Yeah. I got times, dates, everything. Okay. Locked in. All right. So, yeah. Watch that game tonight. And uh, where would I rather go, Dallas or Atlanta? You've been to both. Been to both. Food-wise comparable. Texas barbecue yeah. or Southern yeah. sweet. But I'll tell you what I like about the Dallas thing. It's closer. It's travel-wise, it's better. Travel-wise. What's the travel to, to Houston for that? Um, Isn't it like... Houston? Yeah. About the same. No, but I'm saying from Dallas to Houston. A plane ride? Yeah. Hour? Yeah. It's a three and a half, four hour drive. So you could technically almost catch a flight. Well, we got an off day. I know. That's what I'm saying. I know. I know. So that's true. We're rooting for Dallas. Thank you. You you just made up my mind. I just made up the mind. Yeah. There you go. Terrible Tuesday. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right. I'm going to start this Terrible Tuesday off with a brutality story in the NFL. And we've seen this before. Not just the NFL, but others' uh, stadiums as well. Sunday night game between the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots in Foxborough. Dolphins are playing the Patriots. Pretty darn good game. But it got overshadowed after a Miami fan started beating on a Patriots fan. Two fans in the stands there in Foxborough. Dale Mooney, 53 years old was beaten unconscious and later died. Paramedics finally came to the 300 section up there in Foxborough during the game. They had to use a defibrillator for about 10 minutes. Dale Mooney was taken to the hospital and died. Dale Mooney was a father of two. And he was beaten to death at a football game. At a football stadium where he has been a season ticket holder for 30 plus years. No fans came to his aid. You know what they were doing? They were watching. They took out their cell phones. Nobody came to help this guy. And it's in your home stadium. Some guy wearing a Dolphin jersey was being loud, obnoxious. Dale Mooney was there with his three friends. And altercation took place. This Dolphin fan gave Dale Mooney a a punch right to the face in, in the spot where it did damage. And they continued to tussle. It was a one-way tussle. And again, like I said, no fans were like, whoa, oh, 
you know what they did? We, we, we got to get out our camera. We got to go viral with this. It's pathetic. Where was the call for help here? Now, if you watch video, and this video is out there. I want to know where's the security. Where are the police? On the video, you could see one security guy, worker. I don't know if it was an usher or what, but they were wearing orange. So they really stood out. And this guy was standing in the row behind where the fight was going on. Get yourself down into the fight. Go down one row. And instead of like trying to reach over, look like an older guy, and nothing was happening, at least get on the phone and call for help. But none of that took place. It was scary to watch, frightening video, and what about the fans that were there? I saw a couple of news stories on this where some eyewitnesses were interviewed and they said it was it was horrifying. And this is what happened at a football game. What are the Patriots going to do about this? That's what I want to know. This man is dead. And no charges have been given yet or handed out to the man that killed Dale Mooney. Autopsy is pending. This has got to stop, man. This is plain stupid. And here's the problem. I see it a lot. I've witnessed this kind of stuff going back years and years and years. Or now you you see it on video since everyone has a, a camera phone, cell phone. Every week there is a fight somewhere in the stands, whether it's at basketball games, it's at football games, whatever. But it's just downright stupid. And of course... Most of the time, alcohol is involved. You know what it is? It's bravado. It's these guys wearing jerseys that think they're actually part of the game. And this goes back to my bigger picture of of fandom that is ridiculous at times. Yeah, I'm skewed. And I say this a lot. I'm skewed because being in the media, you know, you you don't sit in the stands. You don't dress up in jerseys. You got to be neutral and all that other kind of stuff. Okay, not saying I'm above that, not saying that at all. It's just that I have lost my luster for fandom a long, long time ago. And being in this business, it forced you to do that. But I was never crazy like that. Sure, had my favorite teams, but this is ridiculous. And we see it all the time where people want to argue and go over the top, you know, where it escalates into fist fights. And I don't understand it. I just don't understand this super fandom pandemonium with, you know, beating your chest and, you know, wearing your jersey and wanting to pick a fight with someone else because they are rooting for the opposite team you are. I don't get it. Don't understand it. And now we have a death because of it. And you know where this usually happens in two places? If you go to the games inside, usually in the upper decks. Okay. You it doesn't you don't see it field level. Now, obviously, ticket prices are a lot more expensive. So I don't know if we equate to that, but you see a lot of the unruly guys that are drunk and they're way up at the top, getting the cheaper tickets, and they're just unruly. They're ridiculous. And the other place it happens out in parking lots. I saw a Giants fan beaten basically into paralysis at Dodger Stadium by a Dodger fan. I've seen it at various stadiums. It's stupid. And it's got to stop. And I don't understand why people cannot just go to a game, have some fun. You want to talk a little trash? Great. I've shared some of the stories from the media section where sometimes you, you're, you're sitting right near fans. I think I told you a story with the Warriors and the Kings game in the playoff game last year where I literally almost had to have a fan ejected because he was so drunk and refused to sit down and thought it was cute. And all the media members are, you know, we're we're working here. And it's like, F you, F you. I paid a lot of money for this seat. Oh, so that entitles you to be a jerk? Entitles you to get hammered? Entitles you to, you know, to throw things at other fans and throw things on the court? No, it's ridiculous. Fandemonium. The fandemonium really irritates me because people can't be under control with it. But sad story 
that a man lost his life. He got in his vehicle to go to the game and root on his favorite team. And now his wife and his sons do not have the father, the husband anymore as Dale Mooney dies because he was beaten to death at a football game. Let's go to something a little more lighthearted, but no less stupid, all right? The NFL is now incorporating more goofy stuff when it comes to television. We have the slime game. We've talked about that. You know how I feel about all that nonsense, right? Oh, yeah. Now it's even going further. On October the 8th, the NFL... We'll have a game between Atlanta and Jacksonville. Now, they're going to be playing in London, all right? Who wants to watch that, by the way? My point again, these games that get played overseas, you lose a home game at these fan bases that are not real great, Jacksonville and Atlanta, and you go play in London. Well, NFL's got to find a way to spruce it up, or at least they think, right? This is going to be Toy Story Fun Day Football. Say what? Yes. Yes. Do we have the audio of Joe Buck with this? Let's turn it over to Joe. Let me turn it over to Joe and let Joe explain it. To infinity and beyond. The first Toy Story Fun Day football is coming to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. It's the NFL like you've never seen it before. Coming in week four. And the Falcons and... Jaguars matchup live from London will also be in Andy's room as both teams transform into the world of Pixar's Toy Story. Oh, it's a very real game, but Toy Story theme. Every run, pass, and score, live and unpredictable. Plus, a special halftime show featuring Duke Kaboom performing an incredible motorcycle jump. Buzz, Woody, and all their friends at Disney, Pixar, ESPN, and the NFL invite you to watch Toy Story Fun Day Football between the Falcons and Jaguars Sunday, October 1st at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. So now we're making more of a mockery of the NFL games. Hey, let's attach a kid's movie to this, huh? Let's turn it into animation. Let's do another broadcast with cartoons. That's what it's come down to? And Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were doing the game the other night, and they're talking about this. Oh, yeah, this is great. Well, of course, they got to say they want they want to promote it. They work for the NFL, right? Work for these networks. Unbelievable. That now, and I don't even understand it. I mean, what are they doing? Numchuck, you love this kind of stuff. But I don't even understand. What are they actually doing? So it sounds like they're taking them and animating the players yeah. during the game. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, hold on. If you were a kid, you got to think, like, they're trying to get kids into this. So I think that's going to be a fun thing for kids to watch. Okay. The slime game, I don't... You know, I'm getting off of the slime game now. Oh, thank you. Because... You know, it's just SpongeBob, and they're kicking it into SpongeBob. This is at least like the game, and they're animating the game. Okay, let me retort. As Samuel said, as Jules Winfield said, oh, allow me to retort. A kid, if they are into football in the NFL, they are going to be watching the regular broadcast. They're not going to say, hey, let's watch Toy Story. No. The same thing with Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon kids would rather see an episode of SpongeBob and Squidward and Patrick. How do I know all these characters? Oh, because, yeah, I was a parent back in the day. Sure. But they don't want football. No, bring that back. Oh, I'm going to watch this, and my attention span's going to be for three hours so I can see somebody get slimed, but I've got to wait and wait and wait for No, not going to do that. By the time the team runs one play and go to the huddle, I mean, they're going to go get another juice box. You're going to go outside. Or nowadays, they're going to go play with their video games. Are you kidding me? No. No. So the, they, this is where they get it wrong. This is not the audience. Toy Story, a kid is going to tune in because he likes to Toy Story. He's not going to understand what's going on with the football here. No. If he wants to watch Toy Story, go watch Toy Story for the 14th time. He's not going to be watching Toy Story. He's watching a game. 
He doesn't want to watch the game, though. He's not interested in the game. But it's something he doesn't new. even know what's going on between the Falcons and the Jaguars or anybody else. But it's something new. It's that it's, shiny new it's try to get a creative thing. But what are you trying to accomplish? You're saying they're trying to accomplish, oh, get kids to watch football. And not works. Doesn't work like that. I guarantee you it will. You don't know what you know why? Because it's on the app. So they can watch it on their iPad while they're playing games and dad can watch the real game. Hmm. You think that's why they're doing it? Get the kids out of the room, go over there. No, the kids are not, not saying that. get out of the room. He's I'm not just saying watch that. kids aren't going to watch that. I bet you they will. <laughs> I bet you it's going to be a high rated game. On Disney Plus, they're going to be. Where's my regular Disney Plus show? Oh, okay. This is cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but it's There's football. No- I don't understand football. Oh, now I'm going to start watching football. Oh, why? Because we're going to have more broadcasts like this. No, we're not. It's a one off. Makes me sick. Makes me sick. <laughs> Colorado, Colorado State game on Saturday. Speaking of ratings, you're really high ratings, but it was an emotional and physical football game. Wide receiver Travis Hunter took a hard hit from Colorado State defensive back Henry Blackburn. Now, it was a football hit, but it was deemed illegal. It drew a penalty on the play, a personal foul call against Henry Blackburn. Hunter had to leave the game. It was taken to the hospital. Now, days later, this happened on Saturday night, right? Colorado students and fans went hacker style and found Henry Blackburn's cell phone number and address and also his parents' house and their address. So fans decided to take it upon themselves, mostly Colorado students, And decided to send death threats. Yes, Henry Blackburn and his family from Colorado State received numerous death threats via phone calls and text messages. Deion Sanders took time at his press conference to address this today. Henry Blackburn is a good player who played a phenomenal game. He made a tremendous uh, hit on Travis on the sideline. You could call it dirty. You could call it he was just playing the game of football. But whatever it was, it does not constitute that he should be receiving death threats. That that's This is still a young man trying to make it in life, a guy that's trying to live his dream and hopefully graduate with honors or degree, uh, committed to excellence, and go to the NFL. He does not deserve a death threat over a game. At the end of the day, this is a game. Someone must win. Someone must lose. Everybody continues their life the next day. Very unfortunate. I'm saddened if there's any of our fans that's on the other side of those threats. I would hope and pray not. But that kid was just playing the best of his ability, and he made a mistake. So I forgive him. See you. Um, our team forgive him. Uh, Travis is, he's forgiven him. Let's move on. But that kid does not deserve that. Deion Sanders. Um, kudos for Deion. Still had the hat and the shades on though during that press conference. Did it. Didn't learn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a penalty, but was it blatant? Wasn't a targeting call. No, it wasn't. But again, here we go again. Fandemonium. Idiots. We want you dead. It's a college football game. Here we go again. The theme here. Go to football game and enjoy the football game. Oh, by the way, Colorado, you won the football game. Didn't cover. Talked to Matt Holt about that. But the bottom line is, you won the game. This guy didn't do anything to anybody else. Listen to your coach. And just don't be stupid with this stuff. Let's go hacker-like and let's try to find out where this guy lives. Let's get his phone number. We want him dead. Really? You'd be arrested for that kind of stuff, too. Insane. All right, I'll leave you with this. Remember we were talking about NBA load management, right? Last week. NBA is cracking down on players resting sitting out a game for no apparent reason because they are sick and tired of having their superstars not playing games, especially road games. And the NBA came down with all of these rules coming up for this season. 
Okay. Very cool. Love it. Cracking down. We had Kyle Lowry on the show. Talk to him. He said he loves it himself. He's not one of those guys that needs to sit, right? But what does the NBA do now? Whoa. They had a little bit of a retraction because now they've instituted an exemption rule. Why? Because maybe a certain player or two complained about this. You ask, what is the exemption rule where you can still load manage? The criteria is this. Stars, remember what a star is, NBA All-Star at that time or that year or... The previous year? Yeah, previous year or this, you know, yeah. coming year. You know, I mean, actually, because All-Star Games midway in February. So after that, yes. That's a star, right? The criteria is stars 35 years or older or have tallied up to 34,000 regular season minutes on the court or a total of 1,000 combined regular season and playoff games. Those are games will receive load management approval from the NBA, i.e. LeBron James is not affected. So who is probably the most singular player that fans would like to go see before he retires? LeBron James. Michael Jordan. (laughs) Bill Bill Cartwright. I'm with you on those two. Bill Cartwright. I'll be with you. LeBron James. Well, LeBron doesn't have to suit up if he doesn't want to because he's exempt. Remember, they used to talk about the Jordan rules. We got the LeBron rules now. Yes, 35 years or older, tallied at 34,000 regular season minutes or a total of 1,000 combined regular season playoff games. Yeah, it's okay. You can sit out. Load management does not apply to you. Unbelievable. Isn't that why you're doing this? To basically, so the superstars can play in these cities that they may only go one time a year. NBA, yeah, you had me. I was, I gave you a staying ovation last week, and now you regress a little bit. And forget about singling out someone with special treatment. All for one, one for all. It applies to everyone. No special rules. All right, those are terrible Tuesday takes. You got some? Hit me on Twitter at tcmartin21. We're going to talk Raiders. Paul Gutierrez is going to join us next hour. But we come back, Matt Holt. We talk about what we saw, not only the betting side, but the college football side on Saturday, and talk a little more Colorado, Colorado State with Matt, and also NFL. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the TC Martin Show. It's good. All right, make sure you join us on Friday at the Westgate of Las Vegas inside the world-famous Superbook. Cool in the gang. They're coming back, baby. Oh, yeah. All right. Join us on Friday. Best bets and more. Marco D'Angelo in the house with us. Trevor Maddich with his best bets as well, too. So make sure. Come on out. 2 to 4 p.m. at the Superbook, the Westgate Las Vegas. Our good friends Jay Cornegay and John Murray. Join us as well. No better time than being at the Westgate in the non-smoking sportsbook, one of a kind, the largest in the world. All right, let's talk to our good friend, Matt Holt, U.S. Integrity. My guy, what is shaking? TC, you know what's a little bit crazy? I remember when Joe Theismann broke his leg on national television and they showed it a hundred times and everybody got so upset because the images were so disrupting. And how do you keep showing that? Well, we saw a big injury in Monday Night Football last night, and it's just the opposite. I'm seeing all these fans upset that they didn't keep showing it in the broadcast. No, you're right. And uh, again, you know, we, people love to race to the the car accident, right? They like that. And again, with social media, everybody wants to wants to see it and over and over. But yeah, um, ESPN decided, no, nah, not not. We're not going to show it. But uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt, because. Um, you know, Nick Chubb got hurt last night and it was, uh, a pretty gruesome injury. And he had had knee problems before. He had, uh, MCL, PCL injuries when he was at Georgia. And then now to go through this last night, I don't think we still don't have the official 
what it is. I believe it's, you know, it looked like an ACL and everything. And so more than likely Nick Chubb is going to be lost for the year. But when you look at how this thing unfolded, um, he, he had a five yard carry down to the three yard line, uh, down to Pittsburgh's territory there. And, uh, just, uh, Micah Fitzpatrick came uh, up with a, a, a tackle. It didn't look like anything that was, you know, illegal, violent, or anything. It was a football tackle, and knee got, you know, bent the wrong way, and this comes on the heels of Aaron Rodgers last Monday night. Heck, man, did you ever think about this, that maybe it's a Monday night curse? You got back-to-back, uh, you know, season-ending injuries for Rodgers and Nick Chubb, two of the game's stars. And then if you go back to what, the final Monday night football game of last year, that was DeMar Hamlin when he was oh, wow. taken to the hospital. So if you, if you go back, and I think I'm right on this, the last three Monday night broadcasts, going back to the end of last year and the two this year, have, we've had these gruesome injuries. Yikes. Well, I guess we didn't have one in the early Monday night football start last night, but the last three Mondays that right. there were. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, by the way, I didn't sign off for a doubleheader. Oh, by the way, Matt, it's not a doubleheader when you have the games an hour apart. All right? One starts at 4 Pacific time. One starts 5. That's not a doubleheader, right? Doubleheader is one after the other, correct? And when you have the same audience, TC, the same network targeting the same exact audience, you're not getting double the audience by having two games at once. You're just splitting that audience in half. Thus, each game gets half the ratings they're supposed to, and it's going to look bad on paper. That's right. All right. Now, where did this come from, anyway? Uh, who, who's the brains behind this nonsense? And we got another one of these fiascos next week, too, don't we? Absolutely. And again, what I don't understand, and they do such a good job overall with scheduling the NFL, is if they're going to do these doubleheaders, why not do an East Coast team, start at a half hour early, and then do a West Coast game so you don't have the overlap, and then you get that same huge Monday night crowd twice instead of splitting that crowd in half. All right, let's let's go back to the, the reason for this, though, Matt. Okay, so we have no... Um, we have one Monday night football game last week, the standalone game between Buffalo and the Jets. Now we go to week two and we've got these two games. I won't say doubleheader, uh, whatever, 415 and a 515 start to your point, like you said perfectly. And now we go to week three, the exact same thing with four more, for the most part, you know, mediocre teams, I guess. Here we go again. Um, not super teams, but then we go to week three. And then it's over. We're, de- we're, we're we go back to one game. Why are we doing this in weeks two and three where we're having these double headers? They're not that aren't double headers, but two games. But then we're going back to you know one game in week one, and then three through sixteen or seventeen. Well, you saw the NFL's explanation, right? No, that's why I'm asking. Oh. I didn't see it. Oh, so what I my understanding and what I saw was that last year. Disney slash ABC, we'll just call them all yeah. Disney, um, had a, a deal for 18 games or 17 games, which meant 16 Monday night football games, and they don't have Monday night football the last week, right. so they picked up one Saturday. This year, that deal expanded from 17 games on Disney to 23 games. So in order to try to accommodate the request of 23 games, uh, including some Saturdays and weird schedulings at the end of the year, they had to double up on these two Mondays to get them to 23. But the schedule is what the schedule is. You know what I mean? I, I mean that that you don't you don't add to the schedule for your own say that. I mean, and I can't believe that the well, I guess the in the NFL, it's more money to them, right? Okay, so I don't get it. I don't like it. It, it makes no sense. It just they're always messing with in in. We've talked about this before. The NFL is the one league that really, I mean, everyone just loves it. And, but they just continue to want to try to mess with the public and to harm it and to hurt it in whatever way they can. I mean, change isn't always good. I mean, it, it's, it's worked out great. You know, you, you know, less is more is always a big thing too. It's like, okay, you know, the one game a week, that's fine. You know, I understand going from 14 to 16 a couple decades ago, but then now going, you know, from going from, from 16 to, to 17 and talking about 18, I, I just, you know, I just don't understand it. Why mess with it? 
whether it's uniforms, whether it's, you know, these games that are going overseas. I mean, just constant change that really is, is not for the positive in, in any of these recent moves that they've made. Well, the one thing that's really surprising to me, TC, is that they messed with the ultimate formula. And really, it's the ultimate formula that they created. Decades ago, they found the perfect formula. If we just have one football game on TV on Monday nights, and it's at the end of the week, so everyone's either chasing all their bets for the week or they're up for the week, and now they want to keep the momentum going, everybody will bet on it. Everybody will tune in. They created that formula, and it has worked so well. We've seen the collegiate folks start to offer Thursday and Friday and Maction Tuesday and Maction Wednesday games, all kinds of things trying to uh, replicate the isolated national TV game. And then they themselves go out there and break the formula that they created that's been such a proven success by having simultaneous games on at the same time was really surprising to me as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people would have liked to just, you know, zero in on each one of those games last night because they were two very good and close games. Not a lot of scoring in the in the Saints Panthers game, but you know, good defense. And again, the, the line came into question there with the, uh, prevent defense by the Saints, which, uh, you know, didn't make me too happy. Uh, and you get, give up the eight points there in the final minute when you give up no touchdowns until the final, you know, minute of the game. Ridiculous. But bottom line is you had two good competitive games and you had split viewing, like you said. That's no good. Yeah, and I think I, I really believe in the single-game format. It doesn't matter who they put out there on right. Monday night. Right. People are going to tune in no matter what. In that format, you made people choose. Yep. You made people flip back and forth. And sometimes by flipping back and forth, to your point, they may lose interest in a game and turn it off. And I just think that single, you know, isolated national TV game has been such a proven success that's not something I ever would have thought to mess with. Yep. Matt Holt uh, joins us. All right, Matt, let's talk a little uh, overreaction because that's always a common thing we get week to week from the NFL. The overreaction with betters and line makers really cracks me up, and we saw this from week one to week two in college football involving Colorado, right? And it goes back to even the week before that when they opened up against TCU, and TCU was, you know, the huge double-digit favorite. Well, no, yeah, I mean, more, what, 21-point favorite, and then Colorado upsets them, and then we see the line with Colorado after, you know, the one week, uh, the next week. All right, so then they're playing Colorado State, their rival. This line gets shot up to 24 points. And the thing was, the Colorado State Rams were in control for nearly the entire game, an easy cover if you had Colorado State. And, uh, you know, this got more action, more volume than any game on the college board on Saturday. And then most of the NFL games, look, I can't remember, and I've seen some really popular college football teams, and at the end of the year, college football will do just as much handle as the NFL, although they have more games, and the third most wagered on event in the United States is the college football playoff. March Madness number one, Super Bowl number two, college football playoff number three. So we've seen a lot of really popular college teams, I don't remember a college team, especially one not expected to compete for any type of national championships, ever draw the wagering attention that this Colorado Buffalo team has. I think at many of the sports books that we were looking at this weekend that we work with, Colorado was outdrawing more than half the NFL games this week. And it was Colorado versus the Mountain West school. Yeah, yeah. And going back to what you said earlier about having that perfect scheduling, I mean, it was a, almost a standalone game. There were other games going on that time, but from a TV standpoint, I mean, you know, it's prime time, what, ABC, whatever, at 8, 8 p.m. here on the West Coast. And you've got Colorado, Colorado State. And it was. It was a phenomenal game, as it turned out to be. Game goes overtime, and then it, it, you have uh, the, uh, the the drama, you know, with Deion Sanders. And let's say, hey, Deion Sanders, the books, the books love Deion Sanders, don't they? I mean, like I said, biggest handle on Saturday. The hype is definitely working with prime time. 
Yeah, and you talk about overreactions. This has been so crazy, TC. You know, prior to the season, I think in Nebraska was an eight-point favorite yep. over Colorado. That switches to Colorado minus three after they beat TCU. And then after the Nebraska win, the Oregon look-ahead was 13.5 for 14. So Oregon basically a two-touchdown favorite against Colorado. Then suddenly the Buffaloes have a tough game against Colorado State, and that line goes all the way to Oregon minus 21. They adjusted it seven points back the other way just based off that one performance against Colorado State. I don't think odds makers have any clue right now what to do with Colorado Buffaloes. I absolutely agree. Again, that's my point. The overreaction, uh, not just from betters, but to the line makers, and it starts right there. And, I mean, come on, Matt. I get, you know, Oregon, you know, when it's all said and done, they're the better team, and you have to factor in to where Colorado uh, was last year and sure they pulled off a, a nice little upset and you know beat Nebraska who's horrible playing without a quarterback and then you play your your rival your in-state rival and that line was overly inflated so now you're going to just do I mean think about that you're that's like a a 40 point swing from what line to another line you know when you look at that from 24 and I know the opponent's different but is Oregon you know, really deserve to be now a 21-point favorite over Colorado? I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and I don't know, because I think uh, we've certainly seen that Sanders has proven himself as a quarterback and that this offense is going to score points probably against anyone that they play. You know, will their defense be able to hold up week to week? I don't know. But if they were only 14 last week, they certainly don't deserve to be 21-point underdogs this week after playing a close game with an in-state rival while they were in the look-ahead spot, looking ahead to this massive showdown with the Ducks, which, by the way, once again this week, is probably going to do more handle than some of the NFL games. No question. All right, what was the biggest surprise for you here in college football after the first three weeks? I think just how bad Alabama is. It's hard to say that Alabama's start is not staggering or disappointing to anybody You know, I've been told we have so many collegiate clients, TC, you know that, almost all the major conferences and schools work with us, and I'm hearing unilaterally across the collegiate landscape that the transfer portal has changed the entire landscape of college football, that there used to be five-star athletes that would sit on the bench at Georgia, at Alabama, at Miami, at Clemson for two years just waiting to play because those schools were perennially in the college football playoff, and it was such an amazing opportunity. But now with the transfer portal, when those guys don't get to start, they just go play at another school. They go start at Washington or Kansas State or Michigan State now. And now all of a sudden, there's a lot more parity in college football. You're a lot less likely to have those super teams because you don't have nine five-star D linemen off the bench you can rotate in because they transferred out at somewhere they could start immediately. And we're seeing those results on the field where in previous years Alabama lose a first-round draft pick quarterback like they did this past season in Bryce Young, no problem. Reload the next year with 40 different five-stars that have been sitting on the bench two years, but they don't have that that barrel full of five-stars anymore because so many transferred out to start immediately elsewhere. And the parity's there. Georgia hasn't looked amazing. Alabama hasn't looked amazing. And Michigan's 0-3 against the spread. I think college football, which was very chalky in terms of who made the CFP for a lot of years, TCU notwithstanding, suddenly there's a whole lot of parity, and it feels a little bit wide open. And not only that, and you alluded to it, but from a, a betting standpoint, a point spread perspective, I mean, you're seeing a lot of dogs cover here. And I mean, look at, you know, in talking about, you know, these players who maybe are transferring out of these power programs and going to smaller schools so they can, you know, rack up some big numbers and maybe get some NFL attention. I mean, there, there are two games that come to mind just from last week, South Alabama 
against Oklahoma State, you know, came in as, you know, more than a touchdown underdog. And South Alabama dominated Oklahoma State. And South Alabama's got some pretty darn good players that came from other programs. And then my alma mater beat Stanford last week, Sacramento State. They go and they beat Stanford, and no one in Sacramento would ever think that would ever happen before. But again, you know, the uh, David Shaw is, is gone now. Stanford is, is a shell of themselves before, but it's giving these other, you know, schools who are getting paydays by these bigger schools, not only to, to cash a big paycheck, but to get a W too. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been an absolute and crazy head start and or start to the season. And the one thing that makes me a little bit sad is I've been telling people for the last couple of years, boy, the Pac-12 is building up to something in football. They are really building up to a culmination of amazing players and great quarterbacks. And what's sad, TC, is right now the Pac-12 has eight teams, eight in the top 25. They have played better than any conference to start this season. And regardless of what happens at the end of the year, it's all over. 108 years later, no more Pac-12. Sad. We're going to talk to you more about that down the road. Let's leave on this, Matt. Uh, NFL, overs, 13 out of the 16 games, over the total last week. What's up? Yeah, and look, the couple that went under, Patriots, they were on the verge of scoring, which would have put that one over. We're all so used to this narrative that defenses start the season ahead of offenses, but we have to remember the NFL constantly makes rule changes. Almost all those rule changes help the offense. They want it to be a high-scoring, fast-paced league, so the rule changes almost always are put into effect to help the offenses. And I just think, you know, with the all the targeting and, and different types of quarterback protection rules, now, we need to get used to seeing an NFL where there's going to be more scoring. Uh, was your phone ringing uh, at the end of the Rams and 49ers game on Sunday, Matt, after the Rams decide to kick a field goal down 10? Oh, by the way, the line was 7.5. They're down 10. They're getting 7.5. And, a half, and uh, instead of going to the end zone, they only had time for one play. Oh, let's kick a field goal. We're going to lose anyway. Let's lose by 7 instead of 10. Look, I thought from an integrity standpoint, it was the right move to do. There's tiebreakers around point differential, total point scored. You only got a 5% chance of making the Hail Mary. Why not kick the field goal and send the home team, uh, home team backers home happy? <laughs> All right, my man. Uh, appreciate uh, the time as always. I know you've uh, got a whole bunch of traveling to do, and uh, we look forward to talking with you, man, a lot during this football season as per usual. Make some time yeah, for us, man. Nashville. For the uh, illustrious, only in my eyes, maybe Vanderbilt University Kentucky rematch this weekend, TC. Well, that's because you're you're Mr. Wildcat man. I mean, you, that's that's your alma mater, man. They're going to be sporting some some dynamite blue and white. That's it. Looking to stay undefeated and get revenge for last year. Go Cats! I like it. I like it. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Take care, TC. There it is. Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. And again, uh, Matt's company started it from uh, scratch, uh, leaving the race and sportsbook industry and now representing all of these conferences and all these professional leagues from an integrity standpoint. Uh, they got a great man in, in charge of that, and I appreciate Matt. always have uh, bringing a lot to this show over the years. All right. She's mighty, mighty. Letting it all hang out, brother. Paul Gutierrez is going to join us. Covers the Raiders for ESPN. We'll talk Raiders, talk Bills, that game on Sunday, and look ahead to this Sunday night football. The Raiders get their home opener as they are going to host the Pittsburgh Steelers. We got that and more coming your way in hour number two. A terrible Tuesday. Yeah, she's mighty, mighty. I just let it all hang out.